Hello, welcome to the Hidden Gems podcast, which is dedicated to featuring original and classic short stories. I'm your host, C. Mac Lewis, and today's story is an original short story written by Rick Levinson entitled Haircut in a Dream. Enjoy. A Haircut in a Dream, written by Richard Levinson. I didn't think either one of us actually needed a haircut. Very odd, as are most dreams when you recollect them. In the dream, we were in Philadelphia, implying that this was a recapitulation of many years ago before we moved to Arizona. In the dream, we were traveling to New York, and Joni had an appointment with an exceedingly fancy hair salon, 300 bucks a cut. Her haircuts always came out well. She's always claimed that she never needed any coloration whatsoever. Even now, the most minimal of a rinse seems to keep any of her rare gray ones from ever allowing itself to be exposed. I, on the other hand, began to turn gray in my thirties. First, it was just a small amount of tinges around the sideburns, little tiny curly cues. On the beach in Stone Harbor, New Jersey, during a summer vacation, I told my son, Adam, maybe he was five years old, that I wanted to show him a secret. I showed him one of the five or six viable hairs in the center of my chest. Two of them were silver gray. I told him that these gray hairs would be our little secret. Leo the Barber was my hair cutter when I was a kid. His full name was Leo Furchie. He gave terrible haircuts. My father and mother always went to Philadelphia for their hair styling. I was the sacrificial hair head. Leo the Barber's barbershop was located in the far back reaches of the Nelson Building, a carriage-stop type of hotel in Salem, New Jersey. The hallway leading to it was dark and long. The long hallway stunk. A bar entrance was along the way. Stale beer, raw booze, and cigarette butts were ever-present. You knew you were going the right way if it smelled bad. Leo always had one other barber working with him in his shop, a two-chair shop. The waiting chairs for the haircut lineup simply lined the wall. Leo's other and likely more profitable enterprise was as a bookie, playing the numbers and making book for the horse race track, which was located just across the river, near Wilmington, Delaware. A small alleyway was located just outside Leo's barber chair. There was always an open window and a fairly steady traffic of people coming by to place one and two dollar bets on the day's action. Leo fancied himself a bit of a clown. He had a small handheld plug-in device, which I would always call his zizzer. It plugged into the wall. A double layer of cutting blades was present, and the blades moved to and fro, right to left, in cycle with a loud buzzing sound. The device was purposed to gradually shave the back of the neck from bald to slightly fuzzy. After buzzing the back of your head, he loved to take the zizzer and run it along the row of bottles of strange and alcohol-smelling hair lotions and potions lined up on his windowsill. As the zizzer moved along the bottles, it made the strangest sound, always accompanied by Leo proclaiming, mm boing mm boing mm boing Saturday morning was haircut time. It would take up my whole morning because Leo didn't play the game fairly. 
I would go in, get in line, take a seat, pick up a comic book, and then every adult who came in was taken ahead of me, regardless of what turn was mine. It didn't bother Leo at all that he was continually prioritizing me lower on his barbershop totem pole. Anyway, back to the dream. I sat briefly in this very high-tech barber chair. The room was very sparse. The hairstylist seemed to be a young man who had very spiky and actually very sparse hair himself. It seemed strange to get a haircut from someone who barely had any hair themselves. He used no electrical instruments, just scissors. Tiny, tiny snips. He gently worked on my head. Nothing much seemed to be coming off. I decided I didn't want any more or need any more. I just got up and left. No more haircut. Back on the train of some sort. Back to Philadelphia. Told you I really didn't think I needed any haircut. I woke up thinking of Leo Furchi. He lived in a barber's home about five doors away from us. He was married and had two daughters. He had a very old, fat, speckled dog that was named Freckles. Freckles loved to chase the neighborhood kids, but was so old that he could barely move at all. Leo's daughters were probably fifteen years older than I was. One of his daughters was named Corinne a pretty, dark-haired girl. I don't think she was ever a babysitter for me. One day my parents were speaking off to the side in very hushed tones. Apparently Corinne had become suddenly and desperately ill. In fact, she had contracted a terrible infection. It was years before my parents told me that she had had an unsuccessful and septic abortion. She had not survived. When I was a first-year medical student, one of my classmates had impregnated a young lady with whom he had no meaningful relationship. He needed to obtain the help of Dick, the shirt salesman. He was able to successfully obtain a clean, illegal abortion for his friend. Life is better if you've got connections. Like Dick, the shirt salesman. Funny thing about medical schools— the more famous and prestigious the school, the less the medical student got to actually do in the training program. The lousy schools needed the medical students as workers, more so than they needed them as students. For that reason, when I entered my internship, I had logged more successful unassisted deliveries than any other member of my intern class. I had delivered 30 babies as a medical student. Sometimes these were very raw experiences. As a fourth-year medical student, I was on rotation with the obstetrics department. In the course of any given evening, I might be called upon to actually perform a delivery. The call came from the emergency department. I ran down to assist. I entered the room to be greeted by a woman who was obviously ready to pop. I looked around the room, and there were no attending physicians— no fellowship trainees, no resident physicians, not even an intern. And the baby was coming. I looked around at the nurses, and they were all wide-eyed and appeared frightened. I asked out loud, Is there anyone here with me? Answer, No one, just you. I lifted up the sheet which was covering the young woman's pelvis. 
Instead of the crowning of a head appearing in the perineum, I was greeted by a foot. A foot was coming first. Holy shit, it's a fucking breach. I'm just a goddamn medical student, and this is a fucking breach delivery. I'm definitely going to kill this kid. The evening before, by absolute chance and circumstance, I had been reviewing breach deliveries. That was the miracle, for sure. I recollected. If one foot is out, it's called a footling. One is to wrap the visible leg in a cloth, reach a glove finger inside the vagina, and extricate the second foot, and hope that both feet are pointing backwards toward the rectum. Next, rotate the torso right and left, gently snare the arms downward. Wrap the baby package in a towel, gently pull outwards while at the same time placing my right index finger inwards, attempt to find the mouth of the child being born. I was to place my index finger into the child's mouth and gently pull it downwards towards me. This was to prevent any hyperextension of the infant's neck as it passed through the birth canal. Had it hyperextended, the child might very well have been born as a quadriplegic with massive spinal cord injury. I wrapped the baby, put my finger in the mouth, gently pulled, and prayed extremely, extremely hard. The baby came out. The baby moved all extremities. Dr. Virginia Apgar would have been proud. The kid pissed and shit and screamed all at once. It was one of my great medical school moments. I had delivered a breach. Sometimes dreams and real life just all get jumbled together. It's hard to sort them out. They're all in these layers that seem to coalesce. My hair is now all white. I hope you enjoyed Haircut in a Dream by Rick Levinson. Rick is not only a successful physician, he is also an internationally renowned artist. In Rick's artist statement entitled Stories, Real and Imagined, with Pictures, he writes, At the basis of all my art there are stories. They combine my actual life experiences, voluntarily imagined ones, and sometimes simply my unfiltered dreams. I have never believed that a person can and must do only one thing in life. I have led parallel careers. The first is pulmonary critical care medicine, formally trained, totally truth-based, tangible, and real. The second, making art, totally imaginary, made up, but most self-revealing when it combines with what has been real in my life and what has escaped from my subconscious. Although often asked, I've never felt the need to prioritize or even separate these lives. Excellently written, Rick, much better than I could have said. Now for the inside scoop on Rick. Rick and my father met in kindergarten and have been lifelong best friends. Rick and his wife moved to Scottsdale, Arizona many years ago. My mom and dad came out to visit them and fell in love with the place and they eventually moved here also. I would visit my parents and then I fell in love with Arizona and I also moved here. So did my uncle Bill, my sister, her son and daughter, my cousin Mike, and we're waiting to see who moves here next. Because of Rick and my dad's kindergarten friendship, I was in the right place at the right time to meet my beautiful husband. If it wasn't for their friendship, my whole life would be completely different. Isn't it strange how beautiful and mysterious life can be? 
I'd like to give a huge thank you to our amazing narrator, John Bell. You can check out his award-winning and family-friendly podcast, Bells in the Bat Free, at thebatfree.com. For more information about Rick and his art, please visit ricklevinsonart.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Hidden Gems podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and review the podcast. Until next time, keep writing, keep listening, and keep dreaming.